Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, trees and non-binaries, to another exciting episode of The Hostile Takeover, the weekly show where I, Adam Ray, the user tinkerer, and a very special guest talk about our favourite game, Under the Sun, PC, console, tabletop, and everything in between. But for you dedicated listeners, I want to say another big thank you for listening to us through our Patreon support. As you well know, patrons get advanced access to all of our written work, as well as extended and unedited episodes of every podcast we produce. Very grateful to your support, and 2022 is shaping up to be a big and ambitious year, and those patrons will get front row seats to something truly fantastic. But now, something truly fantastic has begun for little old me and my dear friend, who you may remember from a few episodes ago talking to us about the legendary and turbulent MOBA League of Legends. I've called my dear friend Connor back because our shared love in the gaming sphere is rectangular, goes into card sleeves, and has an immense nerd following across the world. Trading card and collectible card games, both physical and digital, are honestly as strong and as diverse now as they've ever been. So we've just taken a little bit of our side of this podcast to just talk about our love for them and the many card games we dabble in. But of course, that's just my side of the story. Connor, how are you doing today? Hi Adam, I'm doing great today. Hello everyone, I am Connor, otherwise known as Akariu, and today <clears throat> I'd like to bring forward a topic. Is that a right? A topic as old as time and as beloved by everyone amongst friend groups. Adam, what's your favourite deck? Oh, such a deep and personal question. I'm going to be honest with you, dear listeners. When we started putting this segment together, I was at a little bit of a loss of what we could talk about because card gaming is such a broad topic, but our favorite decks is such a personal and deep topic, and for people who've played as many card games as Connor and myself, that could be a very different conversation depending on which deck and which game you look at. So this conversation is going to be so rich and deep, and I thank you for bringing it up. So I'll answer your question with a question. Which game would you like us to focus on first? Because I have different favorites for different games for different reasons. Well, I believe we can start with uh, a personal favourite that we've both been enjoying and myself have been more recently getting into a lot more, thanks to your dear help, which is Legends of Runeterra, the uh, online uh, collectible card game done by Riot Games, focus around the lore of League of Legends. Perfect segue from our previous episode. Yep, I've been uh, persuaded to... I have the client for League installed on my PC right now. I'm still a little bit... Nervous to open it. I think we've got to sync up some time with a little you before we can start grinding some levels, but it is there. But nevertheless, the depth of the lore and the strength of the character designs meant that translating League from the MOBA to the card game was a fairly easy endeavor for a lot of the devs. I know that it's an ongoing process that started way back in 2017, well before anyone in the fan base even knew that it was a thing. So mm. Legends of Runeterra was a long time coming, and as a card game goes, it is familiar in that it's got magics fast speed interaction uh much like instance and hearthstone's growing mana system but there's so many new ambitious and somewhat controversial design choices that have kept it unique into its own that i'm very grateful to and back on, as i said I've, on many times in my own writing for interacg.com and for my own time talking about it on this show legends of rune terror was a game i downloaded right at the beginning of when the world closed and thought, oh, it's a, it's a good mobile game. I'll, I'll play it for a little while, and I'll probably uninstall it when I get a bit bored with it. It is now one of two, maybe three games that I play every day. That, Genshin Impact, and Drips into Skyweaver and uh, MTG Arena are the only games I play every day consistently, because it is, it's just something about it that has consistently drawn me back in. The fact that combat matters is a uh, thing that has been falling in and out of favor in Magic, as far as my opinion goes. Mm-hmm. Um, combo potentials feel much harder to pull off just because of the nature of how board states work and the mana system and the stack system. So crazy things like my beloved Storm is an impossibility. But people have tried. People have tried to make Storm happen in Rune Terra, and it's funny as hell. Yes, yeah, so mm. you've had a lot more experience with the game than I have. So if if I, w- I would say... Yeah, since you've started, what would you have, what deck would you say if you go back to that point in time and play it and just keep playing that deck? What would you say it would be? I think if there's one deck that I have, there's one deck that I've played the most and I just love consistently would mm-hmm. probably be Akshan Siva Demacia Midrange. 
Okay. That deck has always been particularly strong, especially back in the days when uh, Merciless Hunter was a 4-3 and Ruin Runner was a 6-4. Yeah, those those were oppressive. But uh, those yeah. were great. Like it was it was the consistent meme of get a connected. That was that <laughs> lived on my Twitter. I was trending because of some of those replies I put onto certain cards, which is like, oh look at this new champion. Great. It still dies to Merciless Hunter. Nobody cares anymore. Um <laughs> It's a deck that even with those nerfs and those balance changes, they've just tweaked and retooled some of the card choices. Uh Ruin Runners out. Uh, and Bruiser is in. They've added certain numbers of uh, rallies and extra support effects. It's always been a deck that's been consistent, and it's also always been a deck that I've taken to multiple gauntlets and best out of three matchups. It's something I've relied on. That's a deck that I've sort of like kept with me in my back pocket for as long as I, for as long as it's been available. But I don't think I can honestly say it's a, my favorite deck. No. Is there another one that has claimed your heart? Simply because it's the closest thing that feels like a magic blue-red spellslinger deck, I would say a personal favorite deck has to be Twisted Fate Swain Control, specifically Ooh. when uh, Monster Harpoon just came out. Oh, that sounds absolutely spicy. It really is, yeah. Because it has, on the low end, it has very good aggressive creatures. It has the self-harm Bilgewater creatures from the Tom Kench package, like Krusty Codger mm. and uh, uh, Fortune Croaker. The Fortune Croaker yeah. also has the added synergy of cantripping, but because they deal damage to themselves, they contribute to Swain's level up. So you can contest the board early, but you still have all of the solid Noxus and Bilgewater burn spells make it rain Death's Hand, Ravenous Flock to contest the board early. With some keg support, the Twisted Fate red and gold cards can sweep away most board states, and then of course you can't really say no to Swain plus Battleship as the final uh, late game win condition. That actually sounds amazing to play. I, I've unfortunately not come across this deck in my playing, as, as I said earlier. I'm still fairly... Although I started back in beta, I kept taking massive breaks in the uh, game, and that deck sounds so much fun to play and experience it's uh it is truly dear to my heart it's something that i will still keep in my collection even though i have to admit i don't think right now it's particularly strong because unfortunately this deck has paid for the sins of gangplank and sejuani oh, monster yeah. harpoon has been nerfed so that it reduces down to four mana not three yeah. as the premier removal spell in it alongside ravenous flock it really felt the weight of that nerf between that and uh leveling up twisted fate is never a goal in that deck he's there as board clearance and if you do level him up with the other value that the deck generates you will consistently just win the game but a lot of the time you are reliant on swain plus battleship and that's okay too but yeah uh, i feel like it's a step too slow in the wrong direction, so I'm not sure of its competitive playability anymore, but it's something that is still something I'll hold very fondly. I can definitely agree. I, I would say that in the current meta of, hey, you can't block me unless you also can't be blocked, is a... It would definitely have some issues, I can imagine, but I'm sure that Twitter fate with his red card can truly help with some of those matchups. Definitely, yeah. Just being able to mark damage on a lot of things opens them up to Ravenous Flocks and Scorched Earths. Um, the interaction in that deck is probably some of the strongest in any deck in Runeterra's history. It was never like S-tier, top-tier, hyper-competitive. It was never one of your Fizz spell-slinger combo decks that got Twisted Face nerfed. It was never... Like the hyper hyper controlling Ezreal Karma deck, but it was something that was able to interact well enough against most matchups that it could stand up to next to anything if piloted well. And I piloted it through multiple tiers and through through a few tournaments. I I love it a lot. Good, I'm glad. It's always so much fun having a deck like that, even if it is just a pet deck. I would always rate being a better pilot over the better deck. Yeah. Person. If you know the deck well and you know the meta well, you can pilot anything to a good result, I personally believe. Oh, yeah. 
and we will definitely get to that when we get to my uh my one of my picks for a different card game interesting <laughs> but as, as you, you said as you well know uh, i'm very excited to hear you talk about it you could you have talked about this deck in quite some quite some time so listeners stay tuned you'll you'll really appreciate this one but as you rightly said i have quite a bit of experience in legends of runeterra but you're still somewhat fresher has any deck in your bruise or your scope of the metagame claimed your soul uh, I will say it is not the um, the deck that we have recently been talking about. Uh, that's been on the back burner. Uh, dear listeners, I am talking about Freyord Bramble Tree Wincon, and it is not going well in my testing. However, so the deck that I would say that has captured me the most, as I enjoy its playstyle, I enjoy how it's running, is deep so far. I built it back when uh, Leona and Diana got released with the Mount Targon event, and then when I came back to Rune Terra a couple of months back, um, I've been recently playing it and is really enjoying it within Gauntlets, and updating it to the current metagame. Honestly, yeah. When I first started, it was um, right when Buildwater came out, right when the Rising Times expansion came out, and Deep mm. was the mid-range deck, and yeah. back in that season, when I had just put together Lux Karma Control, I think I was like one and fourteen against Deep. <laughs> was... uh, that would obviously not surprise me with how the deck plays. Way back then, it was incredibly powerful, and it's still very satisfying. And honestly, another thing, just to credit the developers at Riot, I love their care and attention. That even though Deep isn't necessarily as strong now as it used to be, they still have it on their mind when they print new cards like Sea Scarab and when they release the Aztec-looking versions of Maokai and Nautilus and the buff to the rewording of Nautilus's trigger, which is actually very relevant, which I'm sure you've probably seen just to be able to play a Vile Feast and get his sapling. But having that care and attention for a deck that's probably fallen out of favor is just really good game management on their part. It is something that I will always credit right to. Their game balancing has been hit and miss within their games, such as Valorant and League of Legends, and of course, Legend of Terror at times, but their attention to making sure that things work and work intuitively is pretty good across the board, in my personal opinion. Um, as a, as we talk about League before, the champions I play will typically, even if they have some kind of problem within their kit, will try to be fixed as soon as possible. But... Within Legends of Runeterra, it was very nice to be able to see the differentiation between play and summoned, especially within Maokai himself, so that you can get your sapling with a lot more ease and allowing for more flexible slots within the deck. Definitely, you'd be able to put some versatility to it. I remember when it first came through, you just slammed all of the cards with Deep on it, some of the good Bilgewater and Shadow Isle synergy cards, and hoped for the best. But now there's actually a decent bit of play to it i sincerely hope that decks like darkness control and lurk have this similar treatment going forward in the game's future i would truly hope so i feel like lurk is a mechanic because i I, i've also built lurk and i played it a little bit it's a mechanic that i feel can be very on the cusp if that makes sense Mm. due to the aggressive nature of it Although I would love another legend to come along with Lurk as well, so that it's not intrinsically always Pike plus Rectite. Would you like it to be in the same regions, or would you like a third region support to potentially I make would... the deck diverse? I'm trying to think alongside the Champions of Legends of Terra, uh, sorry, of League of Legends, and the champion that I think would be closest to fitting into Lurk would be a champion such as Karzix. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember what region he resides from in the game and in the lore, but because he is a void creature, he can kind of go anywhere. And I believe he generally resides within the jungles of Shurima alongside Rengar, because they have a massive rivalry. So I be- And also Rengar would probably have Lurkers as well, which would be quite interesting. And I feel like one of those two coming out with the Lurker keyword and providing a different style of Lurk. I feel like with Karzix, it could be more along the lines of um, or with Rengar. It could be along with the lines of such as Jarvan, where when you attack and you have a certain amount of mana, he will come into play. Ooh. Because that's kind of... They, they're very much I-will-jump-in type of champions within the game of Legend, uh, League of Legends, and they like to do a lot of crossover with them in the playstyle of both games. 
because I have a I have issues with Rek'Sai personally. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that in person when we last met. Uh, I think we're under the same agreement that the Lurk archetype is hard carried by Pike as a versatile sort of potential board wipe. I I love I love Pike's design in every respect. It is such a joy to play in the game. But the the Rek'Sai shuffle away effect is. I can imagine it being very useful in certain aspects, but I also get incredibly frustrated when you're trying to use it as a defensive tool, which is obviously not what you want to do, but in certain situations where it does occur, it can just put you into a position where a, uh, a full-back swing when you, after your turn can just ruin you. Yeah, I feel like that's probably why it wasn't, but it may be interesting to incorporate incorporate some form of rally into it so that on a defensive yeah. term you can develop Rexar, use that three that six health stat and then still profitably swing in getting all of your lurk triggers but i think that's something we'll have to wait for once the card pool expands a teensy bit of course yes there's still a fresher mechanic and i look forward to how it expand upon it i, uh, I will as well so yes deep is a deck that i have greatly enjoyed since i started playing the game I have drastically altered the list that I had when I first started, which had loads of big, beefy sea monsters at the end, to, so that when I got to Nautilus, I had so many things for free. However, now I've gone for a more mid-rangey control sort of variant, and I am loving it. It is so much fun within Gauntlet, where you don't have, you're not at the mercy of the randomness of the ladder, and it just performs extremely well into so many matchups. I think that's where it shines uh, at present as well. It's a very good gauntlet deck simply because if you're up against something hyper-aggressive, you mulligan for the lifesteal arc creature and your drains, whereas if you're up against something controlling, you can stabilize, contest the board, and then potentially go for either an atrocity kill or just flood the board with giant monsters. So yeah, it's got that versatility, which makes it really shine in that in that game mode. And... Something I may take a spin. I haven't entered into this week's gauntlet yet, so it'll be something I consider, but I may need to have a look at how you've built your version. Yes, I would definitely love to show you my uh, version of the list. I believe I'm running something that isn't typically run, which is the uh, the seven mana when it's uh, summoned, I believe it is. You, uh, you, excuse me a moment, you toss two and then you create two treasures within the deck. Oh yeah, the... The ship recorder. I think that's usually yeah. a, a one-off in most lists, but it's it's just I a very. Oh wow! Really? Yes. Uh, I want to win every control matchup with the deck. It is one thing to be able to go under me with all the drain effects I have, like quite a low curve. But I also want to beat you when you try and go over me, and the treasure effects are so powerful at doing that. So, do you play the draw spell that draws you two treasures? Uh, no, I do not. Oh, but hell. I do play. Because the way the deck operates is you are constantly trying to balance your board state and your health to an extent where you keep coming ahead. It's very difficult versus decks such as um, Elusive, like Ari Kenham, mm. for example, and uh, Rally. But uh, I've also gone into a Ruination. I've gone into a few more controlling aspects so I can board uh, deal with the board as it is presented. I also believe I play more Vengeance than the average person. Well, that's interesting. Um, well, the Vengeance buff recently was definitely needed. It was a beautiful buff for the deck, and I believe, pardon me, it is one of the uh, better forms of removal in the uh, deck now, uh, at least within a state of um, where decks such as Yetis are starting to get some prominence. Uh, we all, we both know my love for uh, the Frozen Thrall decks, yeah. and we know how the 8-8 Overwhelming Tide can our roots are much more blocky in paper wouldn't you say the cards in magic the gathering are a lot more static and not open to random card changes alchemy doesn't exist in my mind and uh and also all the uh erratas required such as a corpse knight being a two three not a two two um, oh and to fairy uh hero dominaria letting you untap up the two lands Oh yeah, we forgot about that. Uh, there's we could keep going on about this. I'm pretty sure there was also the one from the uh, newest vampire precon. I believe it got uh, revealed wrong, and then they put it back to normal, and then they revealed oh, a whole debacle. 
Oh, and I, I also like that they got the name wrong of the legendary in the Prismari bundle, I think. Yes, it was. Uh, the um, Thunderous Collector, I believe it was. Yeah, but it was meant to be Thunder Conductor because it runs. Yeah. Oh, uh, that was... I, I own that card, and it's quite funny to look at it and go, this is ridiculous. Technically, it does not work with itself. <laughs> yeah. In the strictest sense of the rules, it does not work with itself. But... Uh... Every now and then, as much as we like to make fun of it, Magic does get some things right. And this is the game that you and I both started on, I th or at least the game I started on. I know your, I know your roots lead you back to Yu-Gi-Oh! But uh, it's the game we have the most experience in. Yes, definitely the game that, once I got into it, hooked me, hooked me deep. And has caused many lifelong friends and many events that I've been to across the country and allowed me to travel and genuinely one of my favorite games of all time agreed truly it's uh it's something i've like my love for it has been somewhat shaky as of late but it's always there and it's somewhat informed my brand online as the is a tinkerer and i will still maintain the the blue red tempo play style for a very long time but uh you have a very important history lesson to give us about your take on magic don't you friend ah uh, yes my my personal favourite deck from perhaps every card game in existence that I've ever played. The deck that got me into the format we know as modern, back when I first started playing and I managed to sell a chain of Mephistopheles to fund half of the deck, because it was a lot cheaper back then. And that deck, my dear friend, is Blue White Gifts Tron. I've which had... led to the cre creation of my favourite card, Gifts Ungiven. I've had the unique experience. I'm not. I can't say joy or displeasure. I had the unique experience of sitting across from you whilst playing this deck. It's um, it's an experience just to be it's able to. It's an able to experience to be able to see that the controlling game plan is so clear, but you will sneeze and present one of what feels like hundreds of different combos that ensure your victory and yet you can't be mad at it because it's all they're all quite fair combos oh uh, yes it's very i believe we should address the elephant of the room of the deck it is very much especially nowadays a pet deck yeah it's when i started and when i first built it it was one of those decks that people bought and like foiled out because they enjoyed it rather than because they wanted to win tournaments with it and now it is very much the same boat of it's not fast enough realistically for the meta, but it also, although it does powerful things, there's so many other powerful things within the format. And yeah, it's the toolbox nature of the deck, as well as the unlimited ways you can tinker it to your own personal choices and meta, is one of the things I absolutely adored about it. And uh, I will always enjoy whenever I get the chance to sleeve it up and play against people. Because some people don't expect them a turn four or turn yeah turn four Elish Norn or Iona Shield of Amiria. Yep, it's uh because with those match because with presenting either of those you just lock out next to any creature deck in modern. Oh yes, especially nowadays with decks such as Lurus existing. Mm. But then again, with <laughs> Lurus, I'm sure certain you have ways to gifts into ways to undo a graveyard or you have ways to gift into whatever you are up against that's why i think the toolbox nature of it is so exciting and the toolbox nature of it wouldn't exist without gifts ungiven my favorite card in all of magic is a instant from the original kamigawa block free in the blue Tar target uh, you target an opponent and you reveal four up to four different cards with different names from your deck and they can select up to two to put into your graveyard and the uh, other two go to your hand which release one of the favorite things in magic fail to find you can choose not to look for all four things because it because it lists within the text different card names you cannot prove within your deck that there are aren't four cards with different names and so, therefore, you are allowed to declare only two cards, which they must select to put into the graveyard. And uh, this is something that has become quite relevant within Magic, as Fail to Find has shuffled its way into a few other strategies as well. And 
it was always one of my favorite things about the card the ability to go here's my gifts and give them here is these two cards you will put them in the graveyard for me thank you very much uh can you think of any specific moments where you've put, had two cards go directly to the graveyard and that led to something uh, truly amazing the next turn or the next phase of the phase of the turn well i had uh, this was my first gp in gp london uh, i believe it was 20 i want to say 2014 um and i was playing against a guy playing burn who had just returned to magic oh. and i turned for iona tim twice in a row oh oh and the guy next to him turned to me and went, stop it, he's already dead. Remind me, Iona, Iona's the one that locks out a certain colour, right? Yes, you, when, yeah, uh, right. when Iona, Shield of enters the battlefield, you declare a colour. Opponents cannot cast spells of that colour anymore. Yeah, so you name so, red against burn and their entire deck is worthless. Especially back then, yes. This was just after... Um, Yes, this was our fate with Forge to just come out, I believe. Oh, so they had just started boarding in stuff like Crisis Claws and Wild Flashes. Yeah. So yeah. it was either fate, yeah, I believe it was Fate with Forge just come out. So they didn't have a Tarkus command yet, but they were playing like Nicartles. Uh, no, but was this after Nicartle got banned? Unbanned? It might have been. But yes, it was quite a uh, case of you name Red and they lost. And I felt kind of, I was a kid at the time, so I didn't feel bad. But now looking back, I look back and go, yeah, I should probably have felt bad for locking out the guy who just returned to magic with Viona. <laughs> yeah. And then also playing Elish Norn to uh, sweeten the pot. Oh, yeah. I mean, that Elish Norn to sweeten the pot is also somewhat of a necessary evil just to ensure your matchup against, like, Zoo and other creature decks. Of course. Although uh, it's not my favorite memory of the deck. I had some amazing games, but I believe my favorite memory of the deck was how I got a turn zero kill in modern back during the Eldrazi winter. Back during Eldrazi winter, the days of like making three Eldrazi mimics on turn one and swinging for 15 on turn two. You, you yes. did this. Yes. So Share with um, the class. I, I, I was at a GPT uh, and I, I brought my blue white gift strong because that was my main modern deck as well as tinkered it a bit more towards the meta. And it was 65 cards, because it's a toolbox deck, so you didn't really care. And my round two opponent was versus Mill. And Mill back then had a lot of targeting effects and did not have any Tasha's Hideous Laughter or um, any or eight crabs, no. It was much different and a lot weaker back then. And game two, I win game one off of, uh, I believe I started strip mining him with Ghost Quarter and Sun Titan. Because <laughs> uh, that, that, that was one of the plans I had in the deck. And in game two, I led off, said keep, and put down a ley line of sanctity to which my opponent looked at their hand, looked at the card, looked up at me, and went, I don't think I can beat that. Give me one moment. Picks up their deck box, looks through their sideboard, calls over a judge to ask to look at the sideboard plan. And then this turns to me and says, I cannot beat that. GG. That is so heartbreaking. And I'm like, cool. I'm, I'm sorry that you couldn't beat a ley line, but also that's kind of cool that I'm actually at a turn of zero kill off of a ley line. <laughs> yeah, but ley line is an inherently very powerful card as a, someone who has a fair bit of XP in Storm. For multiple oh. reasons, ley line is really bad. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, at the uh, the G that same GPT, I lost the top eight to Storm. So uh, I was well, the top four to Storm because I managed to uh, win the uh, Swiss. I went three one one because in the final round we drew, and the only loss I had was to the Red Green Eldrazi deck at the time, beating out Collector Company Mill and um, D and T, which was shocking. That I managed to do that. And then the top eight was versus Jeskai Ascendancy with a very spicy brew. And then Storm was what uh, knocked me out, unfortunately. Very unfortunate. Playing through both Elish Norn and Leonard Sanctity. Wow. Yeah. Fine work, <laughs> unknown Storm player in the ether. If you're in the unlikely event you're listening, I, I fellow Storm player, salute you. <laughs> yes, it was quite impressive, to be honest. Yeah. But yes. It is my favorite deck for the amount of the amount of creativity you can have with it. 
there are people that swear by Mind Slaver combos and I own, and then there's others that swear by Iona, and then there's some that swear by two creatures and that's it, and just a full-on control package. Well, certainly great versatility and no clear way to build it, so you can tailor it based on your local meta and how which kind of uh, combos and win conditions you want to board in. It's very exciting, and that's one I know that you've loved and had in your collection for as long as I've known you, so yeah, I'm very happy to hear you still love it after all of these centuries of play. <laughs> Feels like that at times. But now, Adam, I've got an important question for you. Is that right? What's your favorite deck from Magic? My favorite... I've always known you as a Storm player or Blue Red Tempo, but I'm not sure if these are your favorite decks. Uh, tempo, yes. Blue Red, no. And um, Storm, also no. This is going to be controversial, but uh, this is... This is um... Honestly and truly, uh, as much as I don't want to admit it, every now and then I enjoy Standard. Every now and then okay. I enjoy Standard. When it's managed well, when it's not horrendously built to push Mythics, Standard can bring some interesting and spicy decks. Yeah, I, I remember that. in the October of... Yeah, within the October of 2019, I was yeah. in New York with my family. But being an antisocial so-and-so I was, I still brought my PC to play some games of MTG Arena after I was done seeing the sites and what have you. Um, M20 had just come out, so I sat down to play some games of an evening on the American server and queued in with my uh, Is It Drake's, Is It Phoenix-style deck against what looked to be a very interesting blue-green tempo deck. I got crushed on turn five against multiple wolves because Nightpack Ambusher is an amazing card. Yes, yes it is. I was very okay with losing that game, opened up uh, MTG Goldfish, learned what the F the deal was about, and that day there was also a play anything event where it didn't matter what cards were in your arena collection, you just put the 75 in, named it, slapped a cover on it, and played the event. Oh, uh, the stars aligned for that one, then. It really did. So I sleeved up the deck that would later become known as Simic Flash. Mm. And much as one does, like Prince with the Lady with the Raspberry Beret, or like every romantic male lead with every romantic female lead, I <laughs> fell in love instantly. <laughs> Just the yeah. symphonic mix of counterspells to Flash creatures... Just awoke something primal and disgusting in me that I have not recovered from. So you became a dirty animal and just started playing Nightpack Ambushers. <laughs> Nightpack Ambushers, um, Sinister Sabotages. Uh, this was also in the day before Brazen Borrower, I mind you. Brazen Borrower would, would come later. Oh, I'd... yeah. That's when the deck like really started gaining some traction. Yeah, that was when the deck was crisp. My, I am still known as the Cynic Flash player. Even though I had oh, been going to that place for a few months before, I scrabbled together to get Cynic Flash ready for day one of New Standard in that store and went with a perfect record. No, that's My not true. I, I, once, I lost one game up against someone who was playing their version of um, Black, White, Death and Taxes with main board uh, tie takers. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah. So I losing that game one really hurt, but I was able to recover my pride after that. I mean, that is still an amazing record for a brand new deck. Yeah, for a brand new deck, for a for an archetype that I only knew in theory, but it it awoke something primal in me, so much so that when I then got access to Brazen Borrowers after the rotation, but the deck was still incredibly oh. strong, the hotness of GP Birmingham was um, Jeskai Planeswalkers, but <laughs> my consistency of being able to control the board state made a Jeskai Planeswalkers player concede partway through game two. Nah, this isn't magic. I don't want to play this. I want to sit through this. Get up, signed the slip, left the slip right at me, and walked not away from the table, but out of the event. I congratulate you. I have been told multiple times to stop it, they're already dead, but I've never had an opponent afterwards get up and leave. Like yes, I, I've had uh, an opponent get up and leave once for that and once for when I was playing Storm back in an older GP London.
first, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley fucking Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogurt. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat me, nuts. I definitely do not fuck bats. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't fuck with Lois Lane. For fuck's sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Picture this, someone who knows nothing about comics. Someone who knows comics from movies, TV, and video games. A complete ultra-comics nerd. You pick the character you want us to talk about. You send us the questions you want answered. You make the show. A podcast by fans. For fans. Making new fans. Superheroes. Or dummies. Part of the Comics in Motion podcast network. In a world of stereotypes, being called a geek comes with a certain image. There is still that ingrained thing within me that is a little bit embarrassed about it. In reality, geek culture has never been more mainstream, and behind every geek is a real story. My dad was the one who got me into Star Wars and things. Join me, your super dummy Paul, as I continue my learning experience and talk to the real people. I'm a secondary school teacher, so I teach 11 to 16 year olds in English. Hear their stories exclusively fantastic universes he's one of them like you've ever gonna grow up and i'm like no why should i i, I like my life I, I enjoy what i do this is my hobby available on all your favorite podcast catchers hi my name's steve and I'm here to tell you all about the DC Comics News Podcast. Every week, my friends and I sit down and discuss everything DC. Movies, TV and streaming, comic books, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Whatever the case, you can find the DC Comics News Podcast on every podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere else you find podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. With 
histories in magic, we have been uh, enlightened to the way of uh, card gaming, which has broadened our horizons to the absolute plethora of card games out there, both paper and digital. And this is where our interests diverge, because to wrap up the show, dear listeners, we're going to talk about two games that either of us might not be necessarily super familiar with. So you had a favorite card favorite deck in a card game that I personally know squat about. Uh, I believe we are now going to be talking about Cardfight Vanguard. That's right, <laughs> yes. Uh, I work at a, um, for my day job, dear listener, I work at a fairly high-profile uh, comic shop in the city of London, so I handle a lot of uh, Cardfight Vanguard product, and I see lots of uh, lots of customers come in and ask for some of the, the structured decks and some of the packs and stuff, but I have no working knowledge of how the game works. So I'm very uh, interested to hear to hear this. So Van- Cardfight Vanguard got released back in, I believe, around 2011, 2012. It's a game released by Bushiroad and it has quite possibly one of my favorite aspects in card gaming, which is that any deck can win. Any deck can win, because it's got a massive luck factor with a mechanic known as triggers, which is whenever you attack or take damage, you reveal the top card of your deck, and if it has a symbol in the top right, you get an additional effect. And even if you're playing a top tier deck, you can literally lose to a brand new trial deck purely on the fact of if they get lucky enough to just keep hitting critical triggers, for example, you just take damage and lose. It, it can just happen. So the game is truly trigger happy, is it? It is very trigger happy. And it is now on its second reboot. Uh, it went from Carfet Vanguard into Carfet Vanguard V, and now we are in Overdress, which has quite possibly the best starting point in all of card gaming, in my personal opinion, which is that starter decks, if you can get them at their actual price, because unfortunately price gouging is a thing, the original five starter decks are £4 each. Good price, point, but how, good price point, but how competitive are they? Uh, every deck will have four of every card, unless it's like a uh, order card, which it might have less of, unless it's really important. And one of them ends up becoming, with some additions from the first set, the best deck in the format at the time. So a str- so a pre-constructed deck with a few so, upgrades became became the top deck in the format. Yeah, I think it was the pre-constructed deck, and I believe it was about sixty pounds worth of upgrades or so. I may be embellishing a bit and misremembering, but it was because you added four of a triple rare, which was about 10 to 15 each, need four copies, and then a few other cards. I believe it was like 12 different, 12 changes or so. And you had the best deck in the format at the time. That's And cool. like the main, the main ride chain from the deck, which was a Bastille, no, Bastion, sorry, uh, was already in the deck. You had four copies of everything. From it, you didn't need to go get the primary grade three that you needed for the deck. That's crazy that you could just put a very reasonable sum of money into a precon and it's still top tier competitive. That is, and to add to that, I believe the current best deck is Verena, Mm -hmm. which is one of the original starter decks plus the newest set stuff. Wow. But yes, but I digress. We're now talking about my favorite deck that I've played in Vanguard. And in Vanguard, you typically have, if we go by the show, there's something called an avatar, which is like the main character's like key card. Like if you look at Yu-Gi-Oh, there was Dark Magician or Neos. And in Vanguard, there was the same concept. And I remember when I was playing this as I was younger with my friend, and there was a certain deck and a certain card from that deck that I just fell in love with. And I'm very excited because it's soon getting a retrain into Ooh. premium. So I'm super excited and looks so much fun to play, which is Demon Marquis Amon. Okay. It's from the Clan Dark Irregulars, which was a deck all about placing cards into your soul and gaining benefits from it. And what he did was he allowed you to take units from your field, put them into your soul, and forcing your opponent to choose one of their units to retire it and kill it. Okay. And for every card in his soul, he gained a thousand power. And at by the end of the game, he had 20, 30, 40,000 power. It was ridiculous in how fun it was. Certainly sounds it. It's, uh, uh yeah. 
yeah, it was always. I remember, I, I never played it, the game competitively. Unfortunately, I played it with some friends and at a few locals, and it was just a deck that I constantly enjoyed playing with my friend George. He he has probably some nightmares occasionally about the deck and what he used to be able to do, and I'm super excited about the retrain because it looks like so much fun with what the uh, deck's going to be doing. Certainly sounds it. It's always exciting when uh, staples for an old deck uh, get uh, a, re- a uh, targeted reprint or some new redesign to bring certain decks back from back from obscurity. So, yeah, it's just like a singular power card that just makes the deck around it particularly yeah, so strong. Yeah, with how Vanguard works, so you have grades, which is zero, one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. You typically build your deck around your grade three. And that, so you would have, for example, from your Overdress, there's Bastion as your main grade three, which you want to ride into, and that your gameplay plan is around him and what your deck does, which is to focus on grade threes. Whereas, say, for example, um, Amon was all about putting cards into your soul so you can gain effects. Uh, Draconic Overlord was all about retiring opponent units and then attacking multiple times. Uh, the Blaster series was all about retiring front row rear guards as well as getting extra attacks in the vanguards um, and creating new uh, units onto your rearguard circles by calling from the deck. Every clan has a unique, or nation now, has their own unique playstyle. And you can find different playstyles within those clans themselves. So, for example, there's um, Amon, who I love. But there was also Bladewing Ragey in the same uh, clan who wanted to have 15 cards in soul so he gained more damage. So he wouldn't get stronger in the sense of uh, power, but when he hit, he would deal free damage baseline instead of the usual one. And you lose when you have six damage. Wow. Yeah, it was hilarious. And uh, he's got a retrain, which I'm going to be building into. And then you have decks like... um, Oracle Think Tank, which was all about card advantage, looking at the top card of your deck and manipulating it and drawing extra cards. But you had a sort of sub-theme of Soul, and then they released the cards, and there was um, a ride chain which allowed you to keep track of the cards on the bottom of your deck. So you'd like you'd take look at top five, ride a new one, put them to the bottom four, and then you could remember it for when you got to that point. But then they released uh, Scarlet Witch Coco, which was all about getting rid of your soul, so you gain card advantage off that. Okay, well that that, that sub game of just like being able to memorize the placement of your deck and just the card advantage of a uh, Vanguard yep. certainly definitely definitely appeal to my sensibilities. So that's already oh, a good interesting point for me. Actually, one of the character gimmicks from the show. Oh right, that's what I loved. The, the The card game never shied away from the show and never went to what Yu Gi Oh did, for example, which was a lot of oh, they have this card in this specific matchup because it's perfect for this moment in time. It's a lot more, they have this deck, you will probably see the cards again. And they build upon the strategy. I really like that. That's good, actually. Yeah, the the show is actually, uh, if if the listeners enjoy animation uh, the and card game shows, the, the original Carfight Vanguard series from season one to season three at least up to Link Joker arc is actually very enjoyable and incredibly enjoyable. Actually, there's a lot of character development. They d- actually did something really interesting with the main character and didn't go. It starts him off as goody two shoes, and then by the end of it, he's a completely different person. Ooh. It's really cool. Definitely, definitely good to hear that they've put that effort into the show and have it mirror the card game quite so well. But yes. the 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 intricacies and the details within the show does in the get in the card game rather does sound quite deep and something I I'm very easily swayed. So when someone sells something to me quite <laughs> quite well, I am interested in looking at it and picking things through. But the idea of some of the ways of like uh, managing a card advantage and being able to stack the deck so that the trigger happy nature of the game can like ensure some sort of un- unexpected combo kill. Yeah, that sounds quite quite spicy to me, so it's something I may get you to have to show me around sometime. Yes, the entire aspect of the game is card management, because you use your cards from your hand to be able to attack, but you also have to use them to defend. Okay. 
So you're constantly managing whether you put units down to attack or whether you're keeping them in hand to defend with them and guard. Yeah, I like the sound of that. There's definitely a lot of like play pattern tension there. Just being able to oh, a lot of player agency of just like what works well when. Which is at some point we'll be sitting down and we'll go through it and we'll find you a deck that you can get your teeth into. Be it in one of the older formats or in overdress. Well there's something for you, I'm sure, as a card gamer. Oh, we're always excited to pick up a new card game. Thank you for that. That will be very exciting. <laughs> is that a thank you out of restriction or a thank you genuinely? Because no, it's a genuine a new thank card you. Card game is always a fun one. No, genuine, genuine thank you. I <laughs> take the card game genre very seriously, and I, I would like to say that I've at least dabbled with any new card game that's sort of laid at my feet. I want to take the genre seriously. So yeah, if you want, if you want to take the time to show me something, I'll be very grateful. Well, I'm sure your wallet will appreciate it as well. Oh, that's that's a different matter because the most important <laughs> the most important god in any ga- card game is always a credit card. Of course, <laughs> but now I believe you got a game for me that I've I believe you showed me it and I've taken a very brief look. Yeah, but it's a game that goes very much under the radar. Yeah, tell yeah. me about it. A game that goes subtly under the radar, but a game that I've covered on this show, dear listeners. I'll leave a link to that episode featuring the delightful Missaurus Rex. Skyweaver is a game uh, which uses the Ethereum Bitcoin system to manage its economy, and it presents so many unique card game style choices that I think a lot of players really need to just turn their attention to it because it has a lot of great ideas that are severely underappreciated. I think one of the ones that we Magic players would appreciate most is the Mulligan system. To start oh, a game, yeah, I love it. To start a game of Skyweaver, you see seven cards, but you choose which four to keep as your starting hand. That on its own is just incredibly novel and incredibly unique to me. But um, as other card games go, it has the progressive mana system of Hearthstone, and um, it's completely singleton. There's only ever one of each card to a given deck. And in terms of the main play modes, there's either constructed where you generate cards but through your wins and build a deck out of the five different prisms because that the colors and magic in the regions in Runeterra they're called prisms in this game um you build your constructed deck out of one or two prisms or you play discovery which feels very much like expedition or sealed in magic sealed in magic or expedition in Runeterra where you are given a full deck of randomly generated cards within the prisms that you choose as you go into the pairing screen. Uh, there's so much there in terms of like how well the client is managed that you can ge- truly generate effective decks to contend well at various different stages and rankings in Discovery. And as long as you know the pilot skill of your deck in Constructed, because it's Singleton, the variance is pretty high which means that most things can compete at various different uh different levels of and tiers of play in the constructed scene as it were yeah i remember when uh, i briefly looked at it the mulligan system was something that i took into instantly i absolutely adored it. i love the deck construction and also just the art style of the game the just the the art direction for the entire game is, is amazing truly yeah, the consistency in the art style is something that's like very key. I almost like want like either an animated series or a series of comics just set in this universe, just with this art style, just to know more about the story. Because something that's been updated since you last played, friend, is that uh, every card, every card now has like two or three sentences of flavor text that breed, breed even more context about the world and the setting. And because unlike um, a lot of other card games we've talked about Runeterra Magic. This game is all at sorcery speed. There's no yes. interacting on your opponent's turn. It's rather like Hearthstone. What happens on your turn happens on your turn, and you just sort of persist with it. So while your opponent's taking their turn trying to line up their combos or their board state, you can sort of click on all of the cards to sort of get a glimpse of the world of Skyweaver, which is a thing I like to do when my opponent takes a, an absolute eternity to take their turn. <laughs> it, it's always nice to have uh, some reading material while you wait <laughs> yeah to to quote a very nice man from the internet reading the card explains the card yes uh rtfc of course oh, and <laughs> yes indeed but uh 
as of right now, the full version of Skyweaver is out now. I'm not sure if you still need the basic code or if you can just download the client from their website. I'll leave links to all of these card games down below. Um, but when that game went into its full version, everyone's accounts were wiped from the beginning, but they kept the actual deck lists so that we grinders can see the former glory days of our old constructed decks, but see a bunch of like padlocks on a lot of our cards. So it'd be like, oh no, but I, could, I miss my friends. Because I'm looking at the list of, that I wanted to talk about for Skyweaver, and I see that more than half of the cards are locked behind the Ethereum paywall. Because if I were to go into a constructed game with it, I could technically queue up, but the game's client would insert the 21 missing cards with 21 random cards, which may work, but also may just be end up being shash, so there's no way of knowing. See, I, I personally really enjoyed that kind of style. The absolute randomness of going, okay, I want this as my core, but now let's see what I can do around that core, because it can lead to a lot more interactions that you would have never considered. Yeah. Uh, one thing about the list is that the cards that I have in my collection includes the uh, a finisher, a 10-mana zombie dragon, some good creature recursion, and... That's about and some good low cost interaction and some good low. Oh, I've got glitter in the deck. That's good. Yeah. So some <laughs> of the some of the core toolboxy cards for my deck are still in my collection. So I'd be able to putter through, but a lot of the middle middle curve cards would be generated by the client. But the cards that sort I built the deck around, as it were, would not be there, and that's what I've sort of built around. So. Um, in in Skyweaver, you have the five prisms, uh, strength, agility, heart, wisdom, and intellect. But within those uh, five prisms, there are also the, t uh, the ten, or is it eight? Eight elements. Uh, air, earth, fire, water, metal, mind, light, and dark. And those eight elements can be found on all five prisms of cards, but they're sort of like subtypes for cards, sort of like um, how... There are sorceries and sorceries and instants and enchantments in all five colors of magic, but you won't get you'll get multicolor cards, but you won't get like white mana pips on red cards in their costs, as it were. So one of the mechanics is uh, inspire, where you get an extra effect if you play a card of a certain kind. So I've built around the card with the inspire mind trigger. It's a card called Overmind. No, Supermind. Overmind's a different card. Supermind. Uh, it's a 2-4 unit that says whenever you play another mind card, you attach Dazed to another, to one of your uh, opponent's units. So, And what Dazed does is it, it puts it to sleep at the start of their turn. So it imposes summoning sickness onto their units randomly for each time you play a mind card. Mm, that's quite an interesting game style. Yeah, it's a... Um, and mine cards generally have a lot of card advantage and card selection mechanics, so you can always find your gas by playing mine cards whilst having this other sub-theme of just locking down your opponent's team. So it, it amounts to a fairly gross tempo deck that draws me additional cards to be able to lock out with the zombies that Undragon makes and consistently recur my board by attacking with Angelo, because Angelo returns your top dead creature from grave to hand. Another thing I want to talk about Skyweaver that has an amazing feature is the fact that this is one of the few digital card games that actually has a graveyard you can interact with. Most other card Ooh. games, they just sort of vanish. The graveyard matters in this game, and it matters a great deal, which is something I do not see a lot of in the digital card game genre, but I truly love. Yeah, it's, it's the graveyard is always a second hand in a lot of card games, especially physical ones. There is no card game that I can think of off the top of my head that does not have at least one deck style that does not interact that interact with the deck the graveyard it's always an area that card games like to go to for advantage and to have certain effects even if it's just as simple as this card returns from your graveyard to your hand such as what minion does from legends of rune terror it's always been a it's a dangerous zone to interact with for a lot of card games as we all know there's decks such as Dredge from Magic the Gathering, which is a uh, oh, that's a that's a that's a problem at times. Truly, but then we can also have fun styles such as Reanimator. 
Yeah, something you know pretty well, bringing, sending Ionia and uh, Alajnor to the graveyard without a care in the world. Oh, no, no, what are you on about? I don't know. It, it's, 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 it's fun, fine. they just want hugs. They just want hugs. They do, it's true. But yeah, it's um, Skyweaver's actual care for the graveyard, especially within the Heart Prism. Heart feels a lot like Black and Magic or Shadow Isles in Runeterra. It has a lot of sacrificing your own guys for value plus recursion and uh, reanimator style cards. So mm. that care and attention for it is really unique in digital card games and something that I'd like to see a lot of. Again, it still plays to a lot of digital card game randomness to, randomness to be able to draw specific cards out of a deck that Magic started to dabble with with the Seek mechanic, which is a whole yeah. other thing that bothers me that we're not going to talk about today. The way that the graveyard and random effects are handled in Skyweaver just feel very elegant and very fair, and this is something that this deck capitalizes on while still putting on a very strong tempo game plan, building up a lot of guard-type units to protect my hero. And oh, it's worth noting that the uh, prisons are intellect and heart. So I, and the really cool visual aesthetics things about Skyweaver is that each of the uh, prison pairs, the color pairs, all have their own avatar sort of hero to represent them. So uh, heart intellect is represented by City, who is this stunningly beautiful necromancer lady who I'm like, yes, please. <laughs> Oh yes, hello. Yeah. yeah, but then again, when you look at like prisms like strength, wisdom, you just get this like adorable, like muscular uh, monk bard dude. But still, that that aesthetics thing is a level of care and attention that I think is another yeah. reason that people need to pay more attention to Skyweaver. Personally, yeah, it's a good level of care and attention and world building within the card games that uh, really sets them apart and makes them their own because a lot of Similar mechanics like growing incremental mana, um, how their graveyard matters, how interaction works. Those things are going to be fairly similar, which is what allows people like us to learn multiple different kinds of card games, but still keep them straight and different in our heads. But it's those visual tweaks and, of course, the decks that we hold near and dear to our hearts that set them apart in us. In us. Of course. And we all know, both know, that card games can literally transcend the game itself. Truly. I mean, I still have... The, this was back when uh, I was leaving university. I took my playset of Gifts Given, and I asked two very close friends of mine if they could sign them. Uh, I asked my dear friend Adam here, as well as a close friend of ours that we like to refer to as Ed, to sign them. To sign one each. And I still have them to this day. Yep, I can see my mess of a scribble across his gifts ungiven. <laughs> I don't know why he let me do this to... I think you let me sign an original Kamigawa one, not even a yes, Mosses reprint. I believe it was, yes. Uh, I still need to get a hold of either the Jace spellbook from Foil, or just get the original one from Foil. I, I would like you to know that I, I have purchased all of the spellbooks so far, but if I had opened the foil version of the J spellbook one, I would have straight up given it to you, no questions asked. I wanted you to know. And I would have you to sign it again. <laughs> ah, even better. Yeah, but unfortunately I opened the foil brainstorm, but if it was a oh, gift, it oh would no, have gone to you, no question asked. I, I, don't, I don't mind. Again, it's in my uh, it's in my Mizzix deck, my Mizzix commander mm -hmm. deck. But, but yeah, sorry, it's for the progression. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we've uh, talked about our appreciation for specific cards and the history of the card games that we've played. We have many pet favorites They have that will continue to draw us back to the game. The decks may not be quite where we remember them, but there'll always be things that keep us consummate card gamers coming back to shuffle up for more. Yes, of course. They, everyone has their pet decks, whether it's the tier one list of that time or if it's just something that we've got to brew and love and enjoy. We all have them in our hearts. Really do. But uh, we will shuffle up those decks for another game once we have wrapped up this show. But uh, there will always be more card gaming goodness to talk about between Connor and myself. But until then, we want to thank you, dear listener, for listening to us talk about our card gaming memory lane. Uh, look soon to twitch.tv forward slash Akariu for Connor's T TCG live streams. What games do you look to be streaming, sir? Uh, I'm going to be focusing on Magic Gathering, uh, Legends of Runeterra, as well as some other variety gaming. I may uh, play a bit of um, some Digimon, because I'm trying to think of a way of nuzlocking 
the Digimon Cyber Sleuth games. Ooh. It's uh, it's difficult to work out how to properly apply the rules of the Nuzlocke from Pokemon to it. Um, I would also probably be looking at some other games for my Steam collection, perhaps uh, some uh, Monster Train, for example, is a fun one that I enjoy a lot of. Uh, I do play a lot of League of Legends, so I might stream some of that, especially if I can get a dear friend of mine onto the bandwagon to join me. Oh, that may be interesting. I may be able to dust off my own Twitch account and start building up a regular stream schedule now that I know what my uh, day job is looking like uh, well in advance. But uh, yeah, that would be something I'll most likely take you up on, good pal. Do some streams and enjoy the great uh, appreciation from your listeners as well as any others that would join uh, my little journey. Uh, looking forward to seeing it. I'm certain we can provide each other a lot of great support as we embark further into twitch.tv but uh, uh, <laughs> truly but that was the hostile takeover with myself Adam Ray the Easy Tinkerer and Connor Okariu thank you for listening and until next time live free and play well see you later <laughs>